This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 29th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at homebodiesyoga.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Homebodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And hello. Um, it is after Labor Day, so many people are trying to tell me that means it's fall, and I could say happy fall, but I will not. I will say happy summer because it is officially summer until September 22nd, and I think it's summer until you can't wear shorts anymore. And I am still in shorts here in Chicago, and especially here in my closet, so I will say happy still summer. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I actually don't even mind fall. I just don't like the hurrying along of the of seasons. Like, let summer still be summer if it's still summer. Anyway, um, something that I've been thinking about a lot in my practice lately um, that I want to talk about today is I think because my practice has become strictly a home practice uh, with COVID and even before COVID because of scheduling and having a baby, really my practice has been, you know, pretty much a home practice for like two or three years, almost entirely. And I haven't been teaching. Um, I, my practice has really evolved and standing, I practice standing split so differently than I was taught and maybe the way that you were taught. And I'm finding I get so much more out of it. So I was taught, you know, standing split hips are square and it was really pounded into me in yoga school. And it really in many classes I've taken many classes I've taught, I've really pounded like, oh, this has to be, you know, your hips have to be square. And, um, you know, for me, I've just never found it that interesting. Like it's a balance, which is sort of interesting. It's a forward fold. So it kind of like, you know, uses Udiana Banda. It's a nice stretch on the standing leg, I guess. But I've, I've always found it like sort of, I don't know, just not very interesting. And the way I've been practicing lately is that I've been letting the top hip open up some. And when I let the top hip open up some, it allows me to really engage that top leg glute and use my obliques a little bit. Uh, and it just makes the pose like much richer for me in a lot of ways. Like I feel like I get kind of a more continuous stretch through my standing leg. And I find that the inner thigh stretch on the top leg is like very pleasant. It feels like something I really need. Uh, but it also feels like very rebellious because it was such a strict rule. Um, I don't know. It felt like I taught it as a rule too, because like, you know, I was just repeating what I heard. And I, I actually realized that I don't know why. So I've been like kind of trying to figure it out. And I think you know, one thing is that it's possible to overstretch the ligaments in the pelvis, right? Like if you overly open the top hip and instead of opening the leg, the muscles in the legs, you tweak the pelvis, then the ligaments might over open in the pelvis. But I think if you're, if you don't open your hip as much as you possibly can and you just let the hip open, like that doesn't happen in my body. And also the ligaments in my pelvis lately, knock on wood, are pretty, um, well, I don't know how to say, they, they feel pretty strong. Like they're not um, overly loose the way that they have been in the past. So it actually, you know, it doesn't feel not safe to me. And I've been practicing it for this way for a few years, for a year, and it still doesn't feel not safe. So I think it's okay, um, you know, knock on wood or whatever. Um, and then I've been doing the same thing kind of in, in down dog. Like I, I still will sometimes enjoy a very square-hipped uh one-legged down dog but letting the hip open up a little bit in down dog I also find I just get like even the standing leg I get more of a stretch um and it just feels more productive I guess um and I was thinking about like you know like why else would this pose not be sort of quote-unquote allowed and the thing that I would always hear in yoga classes was like that if you lifted your leg higher by letting the hip open a little bit then it, you know, it was because of your ego. Um, and, and I, and I'm not saying that my, that any 
thing I heard was wrong because I'm sure I've said it. I don't specifically remember saying it, but you know, I was a great little uh, mockingbird of a yoga teacher when I was first starting out. So I imagine I said it in a class because I remember sort of thinking it was true that like, you know, if you open your hip a little bit in downward dog or in standing split, it's just because you want to have like this egoic experience of getting your leg really high. And when I think about that now, like that is just, just so absurd to me. Like I can't believe one, I ever believed it. And gosh, how humiliating to think that I ever said that to a class. Because according to the Yoga Sutras, ego is anything that keeps us from our true self, right? So, uh, you know, the, the ego are the parts of us that make us feel separate from the rest of from other living beings, right? That, that separate us from love or, or from quote unquote God, right? So the ego are, are, are these things that make us think that we're just our body or that we're just our mind and, and, and don't allow us to see that there's this deeper, richer spiritual aspect to ourselves. And that in this spiritual aspect, we're actually connected to every other living thing. <laughs> and to think like the way that I open my leg and standing split could be because of my ego and maybe you know for some it is and maybe there's a grain of truth in everything and these kind of yogic cliches that get repeated you know they obviously or I assume they sometimes start with some grain of truth but the fact that I've been practicing this way when I'm alone would mean that it's definitely not my ego right because who can see my other leg? And I know for me personally, and I can say this because I've thought a lot about it, like I don't, it, the way I think about myself it is not at all connected to how high I can lift my leg up, right? It, it, it's not like when I open my hip and can lift my leg higher, I now don't see myself as a part of humanity or as a part of all living things or as a part of love. There are plenty of other things I do that keep me away from that. But let, my leg is not one of them. And I just, I don't know, it's just such an interesting thing, like commentary on the, the yoga community for me that like, that's actually something that I would walk into a classroom and say to a bunch of grownups who have very complex inner worlds, that if they lift their leg up by opening their hip, that it's because of their ego, as though I would possibly know. How crazy. <laughs> Like, what? I don't know. Like, what? a I don't know. Uh, so anyway, I, I've also messaged a bunch of my friends to be like, is this actually physically dangerous at all? The only argument I got that I was like, oh, that makes sense, is my friend Olivia was like, oh, it's a fundamentally different pose when you do that. Which, okay, fair enough. Like, it's then not standing split. Um, but I guess what I'm saying is, if it's not technically standing split, I don't care. Like if I do a standing split in the forest of my bedroom, will anyone hear it? No. If I don't do a standing split right, will anyone know? No, but now you'll know because I told you. But you know what I mean. Um, yeah, standing split. Wow. Um, and then the other, the other thing is I, I do think if you don't keep your hips square – when you're practicing handstand, it just makes it more difficult to balance once you get up there. So if I'm thinking, if I'm doing a practice and I'm thinking like, I want to do handstand at the end of this, which, you know, occasionally I do, I'm like wanting to prep for a handstand, then, then I'll keep the hips square because I know that'll eventually help teach my body how to stay more balanced when I try to come up and balance on my hands. All of this brings me to our guest today, Sarah Strother, and taking her classes has really taught me that it's okay for it not to always look like a yoga pose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I found her when I first moved to Chicago, um, and I immediately loved her classes, like from the first class I took, uh, but I actually didn't get to take that many because I... Um, had a baby and you know getting to a yoga class is not always easy without child care and then um 
COVID happened. And so then it was really hard to get her yoga classes because there weren't any yoga classes. But then she switched to online, which was actually really great for me because, you know, a lot of times when I'm free to do a yoga practice, it's like 2 p.m. and there's never a class at that time. But I could, you know, go to one of her pre-recorded classes on Vimeo and take it. Um, and her classes have really changed the way I practice. Um, she has sort of two kinds of classes. One are strength building, uh, which she doesn't consider yoga at all. And then the other are, um, yoga classes. And both of them have really helped me to learn to use my body in a new way and kind of be more present with my body in the way that it works. She teaches like really artfully designed classes. Um, as she says in the interview, she's a fine arts major in college and you sort of see that like it kind of feels like, I don't know, it feels like you're a part, I, I can't explain it, um, but you should take one of her classes and find out. But like a lot of classes I've taken are either fun or I find them intellectually interesting or I find them spiritual. And she has this way of like, putting all three together and even in her strength feeling strength building classes there's something about it that feels spiritual to me because uh it feels like I'm sort of caring for the house of my spirit my body I guess not to get too cheesy um but I really wanted to talk to her because uh as successful as she has been at teaching online she has decided to stop teaching and she is now um working as a native plants garden designer so um really working on making people's backyards more sustainable and uh you know using pollinating plants and, and things like that um which is amazing. It's actually something that I was telling her before we started. My husband and I are super into watching gardener or uh, native plant gardeners on TikTok <laughs> and native plant designers uh, to see how they change people's gardens. If you haven't, or how they change people's backyards. If you haven't seen them, you should. It's like very interesting. I guess you can kind of find anything on TikTok. But anyway, um, I digress. Uh, and it was really interesting to kind of hear her thoughts about the way yoga is today and, and how difficult, even though she was very successful teacher, how diff successful, quote unquote, successful in that, you know, she had very big classes and a big following, uh, how difficult it is to have yoga as an occupation and kind of what a weird little occupation it is. Um, and I just want to talk to her because I know that, you know, uh, making a big change can be hard and, uh, I found her bravery really inspiring. Um, yeah, especially as someone who's not teaching right now, and maybe you're not either, or maybe you're thinking about not teaching, or maybe you're committed to teaching, but it's interesting to hear another perspective. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, here is Sarah Strother. Hi, it's me again. Uh, I just realized that you might not understand this interview if you don't know how yoga teachers get paid, and I just want to lay it out there real quick. So, uh, in most studios, yoga instructors are contract work, which means that you are paid per hour and you have no sick days. And really, um, the yoga studio has no legal responsibility to take care of you at all. Uh, so like no paid leave at all if you're pregnant or you have an injury, like nothing. Um, and you pay taxes at the end of the year. So taxes aren't taken out of your income at the studio, you pay at the end. Uh, which is a whole other thing which we don't have to get into. Uh, no health insurance, obviously, like nothing like that. Um, and usually then the studio doesn't just pay you by the hour, but they pay you by how many students are in your class. So like, you know, if you have zero to five and then five to 12, you get sort of a different rate. Most studios also cap it. So, you know, even if you have more than 80 students, you don't get paid for 80 students. And usually it's like something like $5 a student. I've seen six, I've seen three dollars a student. It really depends. Occasionally, if you work at a gym, you get paid just a flat hourly rate. And when you teach private clients, obviously, that's a flat hourly rate. But that's basically how the yoga studio system works right now. Um, and you can see it, if you're a yoga instructor and in this interview and me personally, there's like a lot of frustration with this system. It's a very difficult system to actually make a living at. at some would argue impossible, and those people would have a very good argument. <laughs> okay, so here is Sarah. Uh, well, welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for giving uh, for allowing me to chat with you. <laughs> Sorry. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. 
Of course. Um, so I want to get right into it because we don't have a ton of time today. And I just, I know that you've been going through some big changes in your uh, work. And I want to talk a little bit about that because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are also yoga instructors or have uh, been in the yoga world for a long time. And you're kind of an interesting place where you're sort of transitioning away from that. Uh, and I just wondered what that's been like. <laughs> liberating <laughs> it's been liberating it was um for me a very suffocating toxic work environment so being mm-hmm. out of it has been really um just a dose of freedom and it's given me my um, my practice back which has been awesome so I know that, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer for all the other yoga teachers, but uh, I just really, for, you know, 18 years, it just was a slow roll downhill, even though my popularity was a slow climb upward. Yeah. and sense. Yeah, it really does. And I can really resonate with that because I taught... For 10 years, and I'm not teaching, and I do feel like my practice is like mine, like I own it again. <laughs> kind of an amazing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking about, you know, as I'm practicing, I'm not thinking about, oh, you know, would this be good for a class, or you got to scribble this down so that I remember what I just did because I think that would be cool for class. Like it's literally just me doing my yoga, which I didn't realize for so long wasn't my yoga. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't notice as much that like it's a complete distraction to be practicing while also thinking about how it's gonna fit into my job. It's like it's two different things. But Yeah, I, I was wondering how you think about this because I've interviewed a lot of people and there's sort of two camps where one kind of instructor says like I only teach from my practice. Uh, and another instructor, some other instructors say, like, no, you shouldn't teach from your practice. Like, where did that kind of end up for you? Or, or well, how do you think about that? Um, well, number one, I think that rules that you, yoga teachers make are often totally false. So, um, <laughs> you know, like, for example, I went through two pregnancies while teaching. Now, just because I couldn't do a handstand while I was pregnant, does that mean that I lost all of the knowledge on how someone goes upside down? No. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it really just depends. Mm. I think it really just depends. And, you know, if we get confined as well that, like, our body is everyone's body, then that's problematic, too, if you're only speaking from your own experience. You know, you need to branch out and and recognize that everyone's body is unique. And even though there's, like, general movement principles, there's variations on that theme all the time. And so um, a teacher might have to teach something that they would never experience in their body. Mm-hmm. I think it really just depends. Yeah. Um and you, you said, I, and I'm just also curious, like, so I, if I, I, when I stopped teaching, I had a, like, sort of a lot of fear around, like, okay, well, like, what will I do next? Or, like, is this the right move? Like, we had, you know, left California, and, like, should I be getting in the yoga community in Chicago and, and all of that? Uh, and I'm wondering, like, was it clear to you that it was, like, time to move on? or Or did you have a lot of like, how, how did you kind of figure out it was time? Um, well, the more, the more deeply I was embedded in a particular yoga studio and got involved in their teacher training is really when things went south. I was already struggling a little bit with, you know, what our role is as a yoga teacher in um, presenting yoga. Is this just exercise? Am I appropriating? Am I appreciating enough? Um, All those 
ponderings were already there. And then when I got more embedded in the actual system that was employing me, um, that's when it became like, okay, you need to figure out your plan B because this is not sustainable. This is, mm. this is not going, um, this is degrading your health, actually being in business with these studio owners mm-hmm. and teaching these teacher trainings. Um, and that was 2016, 2017, right around there. And, you know, I really didn't know what my plan B was going to be. I always wondered, like, how I could get paid to do things that I really love and I'm interested in. And I was like, no one's going to pay me to go hiking. <laughs> but I love <laughs> Sadly. hiking. But no one's going to pay me to go hiking. Um, <laughs> so with my children being really young at the time, in 2016, I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old. I was in the forest preserves quite a bit. And I saw a poster for a master naturalist program and looked into what that is. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is a great way to immerse myself in a completely different community to also learn at the same time and not have to give up anything that I already have going on. So I dipped my toes into the naturalist pool in 2017 just to see what it felt like. And initially, it, it didn't feel like a fit. Um, I, as a teacher, I'm part of me is very extroverted, and I found that within my naturalist cohort, it, there was just a lot of, like, social awkwardness and introvertedness that, you know, unless you could find the thing that they were really comfortable talking about, whether it was frogs or grasshoppers or <laughs> migrating birds, like, then you could really have, like, a conversation with someone, but everything else was just, like, I don't know, wallflowers. So... I didn't right away settle into, like, this is a good path for me. Um, but the more I got squished by working at the studio, um, and I also had a, a pretty traumatic event uh, as a teacher with a student that I don't want to get into, but it really was just like, you have to figure, figure it out. Like, whatever it is, you need to keep thinking about where you're going because this is a dead end. This is... This, this is going to kill you, so you, you need to get out of it. Um, and in getting certified as a master naturalist, I have to do continuing education and volunteer hours every year. So since 2017, I've you know, been spending like 120 hours in the forest preserves and was given more responsibility and managing a rain garden, and it just felt so good to get my hands dirty. Uh, I've always been a gardener not professionally uh, until recently, and it was just like, oh, yeah, uh, why would you have not pursued horticulture and landscape design? I have a degree in fine arts, so there's always been an element of me as, that's like organizing space, and um, you may have even kind of noticed that in my yoga class, like I was kind of organizing bodies in space through unique sequences week to week. I never really talked the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, my my plan B, it took me a couple of years and a lot of soul searching and heartache to really define what that was going to be. So, like, I would say middle of the summer of 2020, after I had already officially left the studio, um, and was just getting burnt out on my Zooms, and I'm in the Forest Preserve, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a thing, native landscape design. <laughs> like, this is a job people have. People are professional gardeners, and I would love for people to see their yard as a habitat, but I also love design, and I get that people don't want their yard to look like the Forest Preserve. They need it to look like residential landscaping, and... I think I could really do that. Um, and then I just started pursuing, well, how how do people become professional native landscape designers? And here I am, <laughs> doing it. 
I really love that. I feel like, time for me. I'm sorry. What's that? Oh, I was just going to say, I just really appreciate your honesty. I feel like so much when people make a change, they're like, I just, you know, especially kind of in the yoga community, people will be like, I just knew. And I'm like, really? You just knew? <laughs> like, I, I don't just know very many things, you know? So it's just so nice of you to, like, share your thought process. I really appreciate that um, for anyone who's, like, thinking about making a change. Uh, but, I yeah, I... I wonder how you think about um, being like in the dirt and like working in the dirt. Like, it, does it feel meditative to you? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I get lost in my head. Like, I'm quiet. I am not talking for hours. For hours. Like, there's a garden I tend that takes me about eight and a half hours to complete. It's a very large yard, and I'm doing it all by myself. And most of that time, I don't. Not even listening to my earbuds. Like, it's just me, quiet, and listening to everything that's happening in that neighborhood and the wildlife that's tucked in between these residential spaces. And, you know, I just, I'm really absorbed and immersed immersed in that doing. Like, my attention very uh, rarely strays from the act of what I'm doing. So, yes, it's very meditative, for sure. Wow, that's also really gratifying. Like, doing asana, like, that instant gratification of doing something physical, um, it's the same when you, you know, put a new shrub in or regrade the side of someone's house. Like, I don't know, just moving earth, moving plants, you instantly see a change. It's very physical, and so there's, like, a bliss that comes with that immediately. Just like when, you you know, you finish your, quote-unquote, yoga practice, you know, whatever happens on your mat, and you're like, yeah, I'm so glad I did that. (laughs) That felt so good. It's the same thing. Yeah, and I can see how, like, making a design come to life is sort of similar to planning a class and seeing students, like, do it, you know, seeing students experience the class. It's like kind of a similar, um, I don't know, I guess it's, it's a similar feeling. Uh, but speaking of practicing, how, yeah, totally, yeah, exactly, like literally organic. <laughs> um, but speaking of practicing, what, how has your practice changed? Like, what's it like these days? Um, a lot of backbends, a lot of strengthening my posterior because bending over a pot, bending over a drafting table, bending over in a garden, um, so a lot of forward bending. And, I mean, I've always loved backbends. I've always needed posterior strength, which I, you know, learned kind of through pregnancies and postpartum that I was really lacking, and then it also further fueled my questioning of just the way we do asana. Um, And so my practice lately is just, it's a lot of shalabhasana, a lot of sphinx push-ups and um, inversions. I mean, it's not very calculated. It's never been that way where I'm like, oh, I do five, three, and I'm star A, and five, three, and I'm star B. Like, it's always been, when I get on the mat, I just let my body do the talking. And I guess it's probably easier to hear your body when you're not thinking about your classes, or that's the experience I've had. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I've had the luxury of always having a home practice. I've never felt lost on my own. Actually, never liked taking classes. So, um, you know, not teaching has not equaled not practicing. I've mm-hmm. always, you know, I've been a student of yoga for a long time, and my status of teaching has never affected whether or not I do it. It's, it's just like part of me. It's so impressive that you can separate the yoga practice from the experience you had teaching yoga because. I know people, and I've definitely had times in my life where practicing felt difficult because I connected it to um, an experience I had with a studio owner or something like that. 
Did you have to think through that, or is that just sort of come naturally oh, to you? Yes. Um, there really was a dark period, I would say 2017, 18 were like the darkest, because in order for me to do my self-practice, I would have to do it at the studio, and the studio was a very um, toxic environment, so it was like I couldn't get away from the anguish that I was experiencing with the studio. Um, you know, there was probably a brief period there where I let my practice fall off because it was so deeply associated with my work life. And, you know, I had to switch therapists at that point because the stress that I was experiencing, she was just like, well, you know, I think you need to really devote more to your yoga practice. I was like, it is very, my yoga practice right now is triggering because it's so connected to my job. And my job right now is filled with so many problems. Like, um, I don't think you're hearing me. Like, I need other stress relief management tools that are not connected to something that would happen at a yoga studio. Um, and that's actually when I made a um, commitment to myself to be in nature every day. And if I couldn't get in nature every day, every other day, um, walking on a path is what my physical asana practice looked like for a little bit until I could figure out a new routine to not have to practice after I taught at the studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious because you now you're working in a totally new field, and I've had experiences of working in other fields, and there is something... I've definitely had experiences, lots of them, with negative, negatively working at yoga studios. And, like, what do you think it is about yoga studios that it can get so toxic and, like, so, um, I don't know, I, I just, it's in a job I felt the most disrespected <laughs> of any job I've had. Like, why? I don't understand it because it's supposed to be about taking care of each other, you know? Right, but it's also about money. Like, yeah. Studios are open not because they're not-for-profits. They are for-profit businesses. And Mm -hmm. it's um, still new, you know, like yoga studios, like, popping up in the 70s, you know, with no real leadership and everyone able to make it up as they go along. Um, And I think people being afraid to actually step up and be like, you know, maybe we made some mistakes. And we need to reorganize to do this better. Uh, people are afraid to change. I think the power structure uh, really keeps yoga teachers from having the confidence to come together and try to negotiate with studio owners. Uh, there's this unspoken competition between yoga teachers that no one wants to talk about, which is if someone's going to your class, they're not coming to my class, and so that's less money in my pocket, and that makes that teacher a threat. Um, I would love to think that there are healthy yoga studios out there. I just haven't worked in one, and I've worked in a lot of yoga studios and a lot of gyms. So I think there's just a lack of leadership, a lack of integrity, much of it is fear-based, and all of that's uncomfortable to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I I worked for a studio for a while where um, my boss referred to us as family, and that was just like uh, incredibly toxic for so many reasons. But I can remember being just like very, very sick, and you know, you have to find a sub. And my boy, my boyfriend or my my husband now, but my boyfriend at the time was like how can you work in a system where when you're so, so sick, you're like on the phone begging people to take your class? Like what an absurd. Yeah. And then it's like, the, threat, the threat that if you can't show up, you lose your job. Yeah. I've never worked for a studio. I've worked for clubs that have had contracts, but I've never been an independent contractor with a contract. Nothing has ever been in writing. So if you break your leg, you have a baby, you have an emergency. You can't come to work. 
there's nothing in writing as to what you're guaranteed to come back to. Mm-hmm. There's never been anything in writing about how you actually get more classes, get more pay, or supported in any way. It's just literally the blind leading the blind, making it up as they go along. And the mm-hmm. studio owners are making a ton of money. And yoga teachers are not. <laughs> so it's a constant hustle. And um, I just don't see any signs of that slowing down. I mean, I've, I've taught for 18 years. It's never been any different. Yeah. I mean, you're so such a wonderful teacher. And um, I can just tell that you're, of course, yeah. And, you know, from, I, I don't know, and I loved your, your Zoom classes. Were you at all ever tempted to keep doing that or or is Stella, is being the yoga studio owner and the yoga student also frustrating in another way? Um, I mean, the Zoom was great because it really nailed for me something that I wasn't seeing before, which is that, like, students actually liked me. I mean, as ridiculous as that sounds because I had really well-attended classes, during Zoom, people could go to anyone's Zoom, but people chose to come to my Zoom, like, seek me out. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this whole time I was thinking that I sucked because the feedback that I got at the studio was that you need to be better. This is what you're doing wrong. Oh, but by the way, we love you and you're great. But, but... um so it never really, like, sunk in that, like, I was accepted and really appreciated until I went through the Zoom. And I was just like, they came for me. Oh, my gosh. They actually really like my yoga. Like, mm-hmm. that was a really good experience. They're like, wow, you know, you've put in all this time and effort, and you did make lasting impressions on people that were positive and really were a worthwhile teacher. Um, but it took a minute to get fully into that space because there was a lot of grieving. Just like, oh my gosh, I don't, you know, the beginning of the pandemic and the lockdown was like, am I ever going to be in a class again? When, it, when are people actually going to congregate? I can't see an end to this. And that, you know, that was really heartbreaking to be like letting go of something that I kind of felt was taken away from me, but everyone had their life taken away from them, so I couldn't, like, dwell in that too much. It was like, we're all suffering, but um, I went through a period of, like, stages of grief with not being able to be in person, and then throughout the longevity of that Zoom and the people who kept coming back, then it was like, oh my gosh, like, this is this is my community. This is my community, and this studio telling me that I need to do things for free for them because just having my name exposed by them is what brings people to my class. I'm like, no, it's actually the other way around, guys. Me and a few other teachers are actually the people keeping people walking through your doors. So I'm at a point where I don't need you. Most of these teachers don't need your name. You need our names. People have been coming back to my classes for 11 years. And you want me to do shit for you for free because with your brand name, I'm going to get exposure? No, I'm actually exposing your brand name. So, sorry, am I going on a tangent here? Um, Zoom, and it was a roller coaster ride. It was a roller coaster ride. I'd much rather teach people in person, but mm. it really served its purpose at the time, which was to help people just get through the day of living in a pandemic, and we still are, but still are living in a pandemic. Um, I can't imagine what it's like in a yoga studio right now, um, but I don't, I'm not, I'm not curious to go find out. <laughs> yeah, that was, um, that's something that's been uh, highlighted by the pandemic, our yoga studio's willingness 
you know, supposedly they're all about wellness, but then they're willing to, I don't know, expose teachers to COVID. Like, it's so strange to me. Um, so that's been really interesting to see how different studios are handling it, um, for sure. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I just want to say also your classes are still on Vimeo and they're amazing. So I'll definitely be putting Thank that you. in the show notes. <laughs> Um, and they're not, I mean, they're not pandemic based. Like they're made that your strength building classes and your yoga classes are so great. And, you know, I don't notice a difference that it's like pre work. It doesn't bother me that, you know, it feels to me like you're still talking to me in those classes. So, um, I wouldn't say they're, you know, just for the pandemic, I would definitely encourage anyone to take them still. <laughs> you know, it really yeah. blows my mind how many people are still doing those videos. Yeah, I've really hesitated putting anything up for so long because in contrast to the professional videos that I had done to even open up that Vimeo account a few years ago, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like grainy Zoom quality recordings in my guest bedroom. Like, who wants to do that? But um, it seems like just my style really resonates with a lot of people and thank you for making the distinction that I do have, you know, strength building classes in contrast to actual yoga classes on there. Um, Cause I don't see the strength building classes as yoga classes at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really speaks to the, just the discipline that all of these students have. It's like, you're willing to, to work with the rigors of your own environment, to roll out your mat, to do this thing for yourself. There's no community aspect to it. There's nothing sexy about it. Like, you're just at home with a video. Like, I'm so deeply honored that people are taking advantage of those videos still. Like, it blows my mind, honestly. No, I mean, and they feel great. Like, it's it's not, I mean, you know, it's not heroic what, what we're doing. It's because I feel great during and after. Also, sometimes during uh, uh, during the strength building, little, not totally great, but really good after. <laughs> right, sometimes yeah, I'm they're like, pretty laborious. I'm like, oh, Sarah, not the block again. <laughs> right. You know, and all that stuff is just really born out of the PT that I had to do after uh, my first pregnancy and labor um, with the injuries that I gave to myself by trying to keep up with my asana practice throughout that pregnancy. So my home practice since then has always been a blend of asana and my PT. And, you know, then when I'm Zooming and I'm doing it and I'm doing it every day, I'm like, I, I can't keep setting aside all this time to be in this room to to do this stuff. So how, you know, I just need to expose my students to what I actually do on my mat. And since it's not technically what I think of as a yoga class, I'm just not going to call it that. Um, and it, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. And I, I always feel better after I do it. And a lot of students have expressed that too, but it's a lot of like physical therapy moves. So that my pelvis doesn't fall apart. Yeah, I mean, I was um, post. I'm like two and a half years postpartum, but when I started doing our classes, I was postpartum, and I definitely, I think, just from ten years of doing yoga too, it's like a balance, a way to balance all of that out. Yeah, I mean, um, for years, I I believed the you know myth that yoga teachers have put out there that that asana and surya namaskar is a complete practice. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's a complete yoga practice. If you go through Surya Namaskar, there's forward bends, there's back bends, there's inversions. Um, I can't say that there's any twists in it, but um, a complete practice, well, we need to get our heart rate up. We need to work with load and do some strength training. Uh, that is not included in an asana practice. You know, once you get used to your own body weight, to that load, uh, you need to increase the load because as we age, our tissues change and we don't hold the strength. We need to increase our challenges to kind of maintain where we want to be, if that makes sense. 
Definitely. Yeah, I've definitely felt the need, the urge to, and, you know, because I feel better after, it feels like my body's put into place after. Like, put back together. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But it and is think, mine. You know, yoga oh. is really a mindset. So, you know, if you're doing something that's physically challenging, it's like, well, where does your mind wander to? Where is your breath in this making? Um, think defining yoga as just something that happens on our yoga mat and is these ubiquitous postures is really limiting and uh, not really honoring where yoga comes from in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's why um, it's so like liberating to not be teaching yoga because then I don't need to think about um, sort of what my students expect because, you know, part of it is like you want to give people what they want. Uh, and instead, I can just do whatever I think of as my practice right now, um, which, I don't know, I think it is liberating, as you said in the beginning of our call. Because we are wedged as yoga teachers to have to consider the audience and mm-hmm. them returning. So if you don't give people what they want, then you lose money. But I really think it's the teacher's job to be a leader and be like, I know you want this thing, but you also really need this other thing. (laughs) And, you know, that can make or break your class numbers. You know, if, if the days that I spoke about yoga philosophy, the days that I was incorporating some physical therapy, you know, were always the days when people had something negative to say. Like, oh, Sarah is, she's just too hard. She's mean. I'm like, no, I'm actually direct and I have a point that I'm trying to make. I'm not here to wax your ego and tell you that you're amazing because I'm just glazing over all these things because I'm really just trying to fool you into coming back. If I give you what you want, then you keep coming back and then I can go on my vacation to Jamaica. No, like a teacher has a responsibility and that responsibility is education. And if we cut ourselves off from learning, then we're not growing. And as teachers, when we learn more, it's our responsibility to share those changes. But that's a scary thing to do. Right. And still pay rent. It's it's a money-based profession. It's a job. And if you change it too much, then you make less money or you get negative feedback. And, um, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have, like, a whole lot of things to say about no, teaching no, in studio can't. life. I mean, I, I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about people. There was so many glorious events. Um, but I'm still kind of in a period of just, like, I really wish that modern yoga would take a back seat. It needs change. Yeah. Or, I mean, I I always think about, you know, the way when you read about how yoga started, when it would be like you just work with one teacher and you see them, you know, once a month and they tell you what to work on. Like, that's what I really want, (laughs) you know. You see a teacher, they tell me what to work on, what to meditate on, and then I work on it on my own. But that would never make money, so. Right. And then that also creates, like, if you you look into, like, the guru structure, it's like, you know, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket and people are easily manipulated. And, um, yeah, it's a delicate thing. It's a delicate thing that I think um, we should still be kind of questioning the structures in place. Definitely. Well, I so appreciate you chatting with me. Um, and, um, yeah, I will post, uh, in the show notes everything about, um, Planted Midwest and about your Vimeo classes because everyone should take them. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, and thanks so much for chatting. Oh my gosh. Thank you. This was really sweet to get to talk to you and, um, thank you for letting me share my story. Yeah, of course.
What an interview that was, huh? Uh, I so appreciated Sarah's honesty. Uh, she said a lot of the things that I have thought a lot uh, while I was, things I thought about a lot while I was teaching and uh, having teaching as my full-time occupation, but especially things I've thought about after. I think a lot of things I didn't really let myself think about because I had to make a living, uh, which like no shade. Like I think, you know, you do what you have to do in the moment. Uh, but a lot of what she said really resonated with me and maybe it did with you too. I definitely think there needs to be some change. And I think I'm hoping that kind of post COVID life yoga studios and yoga instructors will realize like, uh, this is no way to live. It's, it's difficult. Um, yeah, I was even, it was just interesting, uh, hearing about how she sort of got her practice back. Cause I, I've had a very similar feeling of like, now this thing is mine. Uh, and it's kind of interesting, like, in terms of capitalism, because, like, uh, if you're good at something, like teaching yoga, it's assumed that you should do it. And that um, even if it used, and, 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 like, if you love yoga, then, then the thing to do, of course, is to, like, find a way to make money from it. But, like, actually, maybe it's, like, that means it's not the thing. Like, maybe the reason, the way that I love yoga means, like, I shouldn't teach yoga like I'm not sure maybe I should I go back and forth but like maybe because I love it and because it's this thing that like really f nourishes me maybe for that exact reason I shouldn't make money from it I don't know it's a, it's kind of a big subject and then of course like just the way that the whole yoga industry is right now makes it, it makes as another layer of complexity I suppose um, yeah, I was even thinking, like, I was listening to music right before I uh, recorded this, and I was like, oh, wow, like, I even listen to music differently since I taught teaching, because I'm not always thinking, like, oh, this would be a great song for class. Like, I'm just listening to a song because I like it, or, just, like, just listening to, like, a new album because, like, I've been wanting to hear it, and not listening for, like, that way to, like, make my class good, I guess. I guess that's the whole mentality that, like, time is money, right? So, like, if I'm even in my free time... Like, I should be using that time to listen to an album that will make my class better so I'll get paid better, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so capitalism's the worst. That's where that whole concept comes from, which we can all agree on and we always come back to, it seems like, every week. <laughs> um, and I would love to hear what you think about all this. Uh, if you're teaching, if you're not teaching, if you're interested in teaching you just quit teaching like I think it's all so interesting and and if you have ideas on how to change the whole teaching paradigm that'd be great too uh yeah I'd love to hear from you Rebecca at homebodies yoga you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram homebodies yoga podcast and yeah I will see you next week happy practicing bye um COVID so then it was really hard to get her yoga classes because there weren't any yoga classes. But then, which was actually really great for me because, you know, a lot of times when I'm free to do a yoga practice, it's like 2 p.m. and there's never a class at that time. But I could, you know,